So I love Christmas. Uh, you've been hearing me talk about it for the last several weeks. It's such a fun time of year. Uh, the decorations, I think, are just so beautiful. Uh, the music is so nostalgic. It just stirs up all kinds of memories. Um, uh, just all of it causes you to think back to Christmases when you were a child. Uh, you know, I, re- I remember growing up in Cleveland, um, how awesome it was when it would snow on Christmas Eve and you'd be going to the grandparents' house and there would be snow falling. I mean, those are just special, uh, wonderful, wonderful times. You know, just make it even more incredible. Fire in the fireplace and you cookies and food and exchanging gifts with family. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful time. I was reading a Christmas devotional from Max Lucado this week. And I loved what he said. I just want to read you what he said. He said, I love Christmas. The ho, 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 the rooty toot, toot, the thumpity thump, thump, and the pa pum pums He said, bring on Scrooge and Cousin Eddie and the official Red Rider carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle. Of course, what's the problem with that? You shoot your eye out. That's exactly right. The tinsel and clatter and waking up to see what was the matter, Bing and his tunes, Macy's balloons, mistletoe kisses, Christmas Eve wishes, and favorite dishes. Um, you know what? That kind of sums it up, isn't it? Just so many fun memories But probably the thing that makes it the most special is the fact that it's just that time when we get together with our loved ones and spend time together. We play games, we eat food, we tell stories. Uh, Just that time of spending uh, together with family and and demonstrating love to one another. Because really, showing love is really the essence of the Christian life, of the Christmas season. God set the example for us in how to love uh, when he sent Jesus to be our Savior. In 1 John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, we'll begin reading in verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And I think the gift of love is one of the most beautiful expressions of God's passion towards mankind. So let's just pause and pray together, if you could. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, as we are deep into this Christmas season, looking forward to next Sunday as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, uh, God we recognize that the birth of Jesus and his death on the cross is such a beautiful picture of your love towards us. Father, it's a love that we can't fully comprehend, that you would love us so much that you would be willing to send Jesus to endure so much on our behalf, to to purchase our salvation, to cover our sins, to make reconciliation possible between us in you, God. It really is just a remarkable thing. And so, God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. And we especially thank you for your love at this season and in every day of our lives. Father, we love you as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, love has many faces. You can see it in many different shapes and sizes. And sometimes we see it most clearly through the eyes of children. Uh, A group of professionals posed the following question to a group of four to eight-year-olds. What does it mean to love? 
The answers they got, one researcher said, were broader and deeper than anyone could have ever imagined. So let me read with you just a few of these 48-year-olds' responses to what does it mean to love. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. (laughs) Chrissy, age six. Well, here's what I know. Chrissy needs counseling because that's just wrong. (laughs) You want fries? Order your own fries. That's my theory, but... Terry, age four, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. I thought that was cute. Love is when mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. Danny, age seven. Well, Danny doesn't know about passive aggressive behavior yet. (laughs) He'll learn one day. My wife, yeah, she's smiling. She knows exactly what I'm about to say. She used to pack my lunch for me, and she'd make me a sandwich, and she'd take a bite out of it. (laughs) That's 7 to 8% of the entire sandwich. Gone. You know, and I'd get that, and I'm like, "Mm," you know. (laughs) Noel, age 7, says, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, then he wears it every day. Last one, Bobby, age five, says, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Mm, I thought that was a very, very astute observation by this young man. In our time together this morning, I want to share with you three three simple thoughts uh, to help you receive God's gift of love. Number one, recognize how much God loves you. Again, verse nine, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know, two times it tells in this passage that we're to love others. And and why should we love others? Because God loved us. Love is from God. God demonstrated his love to us by sending Christ into this world to become the sacrificial payment for our sins. God's love is the motivation behind both the cradle and the cross. Love is the very nature of God. It's who he is. It's it's part of what it even means to be God. Love is from God the way heat is from fire or the way light is from the sun. The sun gives light because it is light. Fire gives heat because it is heat. And God gives love because God is love. When we celebrate Christmas, we're remembering this incredible gift to mankind. The birth of Jesus Christ set in motion God's plan of salvation for man. This is when God came into the world to make right that which was lost in the garden. We mentioned this uh, previously uh, in our series. Uh, Luke 2.10 says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. You see, Jesus was the Lamb of God who was born to take away the sins of man. In fact, that's exactly what John the Baptist said, uh, Jesus' cousin, when he first saw Jesus coming. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. 
You see, what started in Exodus, when the very first lamb was slain to cover men's sin, ended when Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross as the final sacrificial lamb. He shed his rich, red, royal blood to cover our sins, to pay for the sins that we had committed, that we might be able to be reconciled with God. You see, it was all part of God's redemptive plan, prescribed in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament. Shedding blood as the covering for sin actually started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, they immediately recognized that they were naked. And so they, they got leaves together to try and cover their nakedness. And God said, no, no, that won't work. And so God had Adam take one of these animals that he had named, that he loved, and he killed that animal and he made clothing for Adam and Eve out of this animal. And you can only imagine the horror that Adam experienced when he saw for the first time one of these animals that he knew, that he loved, that he named, had to be slaughtered and its blood shed. Can you imagine the mess? Can you imagine the sight of that the first time they'd actually seen bloodshed? And Adam and Eve realized that it was because of what they had done that that animal had to die. And you see, that was the beginning of all the bloodshed. What started in the garden was finished on the cross. But at this time of year, we focus more on the cradle than on the cross. Have you ever wondered why in the Christmas season everything is red and green? Tradition uh, is rich and it tells us that, that really this, this has a lot of uh, origin going back all the way to the Garden of Eden. The color green is a natural representation of eternal life, primarily because uh, the evergreen tree stays green all through the seasons, the winter season. It always stays green. And so that's why in Christian belief, uh, green is the color identified with eternal life and the eternal life of Jesus. Red, obviously, symbolizing Christ's blood, which was shed to cover our sins. Back in the 14th century, uh, churches used to present uh, miracle plays. Uh, they were these little dramas to help, help people understand what God had done. You see, most people were not literate. Most people didn't have a copy of the Bible. Most weren't able to sit down and read. And, and even if they had a copy, they couldn't read it anyhow. And so the church would use uh, these plays to tell the stories um, and, and help communicate the truth. And back, back in uh, the 14th century, uh, on Christmas Eve, there was one particular play. It was called the Paradise Play that they would often do. And it was, it was retelling the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And in place of an apple tree, because they weren't available in the wintertime, uh, they fastened apples onto the branches of pine trees and used that as an example of the tree of good and evil. And it became a common practice to bring in these pine trees and, and adorn them with apples uh, at the Christmas time each year. And over time, uh, families begin to follow suit, and they would take a pine tree into the house and put apples on it. And that really is, from what we can tell, the introduction of these traditions, both the Christmas tree and the seasonal colors of green for the uh, pine tree and red for the apples. But regardless of the tradition of Christmas, the important thing is that you don't overlook the sacrifice 
of Christ. The fact that God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, became the sacrificial lamb of Christmas. He became, he became the savior of the world. He entered our world to pay a price that you and I could never pay as a covering for our sins. So not only is this the greatest story of all time, it's the greatest gift of all time, which is God's gift of love. So how do you receive God's love? You recognize how much God loves you. And then secondly, you're to demonstrate God's love to others. This is something that we both receive, but then also give away to others. And that is evidence that we both know and love God. Continuing in John, 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So our lives are to be characterized by a God-like love that goes as far, uh, you know, so far that we're even willing to love our enemies, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, love those who have used us and, 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 and have hurt us. One of the saddest things at Christmas is families who can't get along or won't get along or don't get along because at some point in their lives, somebody injured somebody, somebody said something, somebody did something, and parts of the family have not been willing to forgive. And so instead of Christmas being a time of family getting together and loving on one another, they avoid each other, they ignore one another, and sometimes they even look for ways to hurt one another. That is not love. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. That's what the scriptures say. So this morning, I wonder, maybe, maybe that's true in your family. My question would be, how long are you going to punish that family member for what they did or what they said? How long are you going to make them pay? Have you ever considered that? Just how long, how long are you going to do this? And when you do that, are you demonstrating the love of God? How long are you going to ignore certain people in your family? pretending they don't exist? How long are you going to wait before you pick up the phone and break the ice and begin the process of mending the relationship? You know, to forgive someone is not to say that what they did is right. It's to say, I'm going to release you from the consequences of what you did because God released me from the consequences of all that I've done. And because I want to be like God, because I want to be like Christ, because I'm going to love like him, then I'm going to release you. Isn't putting a stamp of approval on what you did or saying it didn't hurt. It's just saying I'm willing to forgive. 32 years ago, a movie came out that quickly became a Christmas classic, and I'm about to make some of you feel very old here this morning. In 1990, Kevin McAllister got left home alone after his family accidentally left him, and he was left at home to defend the family and the family's home from robbers. Can anyone tell me the name of those two robbers? Who? Harry and Marv, remember? Harry and Marv, they were known as the wet bandits, sticky bandits. Get them out of here. Get out of here. You don't even, you haven't watched Home Alone? What's the matter with you? <laughs> but there's a side story in that show that kind of drives home the point of what I'm making here in this, in this 
point. Kevin looked out his window and he saw old man Marley, who was the next door neighbor to the McAllisters. And he was a loner. And he stayed by himself and he never had family over. And r- rumors began to swirl. And uh, Kevin's older brother told him that old man Marley was actually a serial killer known as the South Bend Shovel Slayer. Remember? When truth is, at some point, Marley had a heated dispute with his son, which ended in the two refusing to speak to each other anymore. And that that caused Mr. Marley to lose contact with the rest of his family, including his granddaughter, whom he adored. Well, in the story, uh, Kevin and old man Marley ran into each other at the Christmas Eve service at church. And Kevin found out that old man Marley wasn't indeed a serial killer. And Kevin encouraged old man Marley to call his son and to make amends. And that's what Mr. Marley said this in the show. To Kevin, he said, how you feel about your family is a complicated thing. Deep down, you'll always love them, but you can forget that you love them. And you can hurt them, and they can hurt you. And that's not just because you're young. You know, there was a lot of truth in that statement. You know, you can, you can get hurt by somebody and you can begin to forget that you love them. So I ask you this morning, do you have a family member that you've forgotten that you love? Is there somebody that, even as I'm speaking right now, this, this image, this person keeps popping into your mind and maybe it's just the Holy Spirit tapping you into the shoulder saying, you know, you probably need to give them a call. I think this advice is good. For all of us, you have a complicated relationship with a family person, it's probably time to make that call. If you have a child or grandchild with whom you haven't spoken in a while, what are you waiting for? Forgive them just as Christ forgave you. 1 John 4.11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You know, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, he has forgiven you for every single sin you've committed. That's good news, right? Every sin that you've committed, every single one of them, he's forgiven. His his account against you was this high. I mean, just this high. You had this much sin debt, and Jesus came, he wiped it all away. He forgave you for every single thing, not only that you've done, but that you will do. But then are you going to hold over someone's head forever, something that they did, they said, some way that they hurt you, and you won't forgive them for what they did to you? That's not loving. That's not following the example that Christ set. His forgiveness is the only hope that we have of reconciliation with both God and with other people. We need to to follow the example of Jesus Christ and be willing to forgive So if you've got a stubborn child that's kind of gone the way of the wild and you're punishing them by giving them the silent treatment, I challenge your thinking on that and challenge you to pray about maybe reaching out and demonstrating love. If you've got a wayward grandchild, maybe they just need to hear that they love you love them regardless of what they're doing. If you've got a shady business partner that has, has wronged you, you know, maybe the loving thing to do is, is to reach out. Maybe you've got a horrible boss, boss or a thoughtless coworker or an ex-spouse that uh, you're not happy with and you certainly uh, 
you know, maybe you aren't happy with what they've done, but maybe at this time in life, it's time to forgive, to release, and to show love, the love that Jesus had for us, we show to other people. You see, not only is love something that we receive from God, it's something that we give to others. And sometimes, just like it wasn't easy for God to give his love to us through the, what, what Jesus had to endure, it probably won't be easy for us to demonstrate love to somebody who's wronged us, but it's likely the right thing to do. And that brings me to my third and final point this morning. Follow Christ's examples, example and love others when they least expect it. 1 John four nineteen, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You know, when we think about the love of Jesus for mankind, we typically go to the cross or to the cradle and see that as the love of God. But Jesus showed love in so many other ways as we read the New Testament. He rescued a woman hiding in Samaria. She'd had five husbands who had dumped her, and the sixth one wouldn't marry her. She was most likely known as the town tramp. She would come to fill her water buckets in the middle of the day when nobody else would be at the well because she didn't want to run into other people and see their scowls and their stares. Yet Christ went out of his way to help her and to show love to her. Jesus rescued a demoniac who was living in the caves. Evil spirits had driven this man to uh, injure and mutilate himself, and, and his, life was, his life was miserable. It was painful. But one word from Jesus stopped the hurting and changed his life. One day there was a little man named Zacchaeus who was in Jericho and this tax collector had swindled enough money from the people to fully fund his retirement account and then some. Money he had, friends he did not. And his conscience certainly haunted him because he knew that what he was doing and the way he was treating people was not right. Well then Jesus showed up and showed him some love and solved both of his problems. He became a friend and he showed him what to do. You see, that was a pattern of Christ's ministry. He would show people love, people that least deserved it, that least expected it. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He consoled the grieving. He didn't need to do those things. He was God. He could do anything he wanted to, but he did them because he loved us. And he loves us today, and he loves you his love drove him to care and to share and to ultimately die for the people he loved. When was the last time you did something loving for someone when they would never have expected it? They'd have never seen it coming. You know, this is a time of year when we can pretty easily show love, show forgiveness. I've been a pastor now for 30 years, and you know, as I look at the whole idea of estrangement, what causes family members to divide, you know, it usually centers around money. Sadly, somebody wanted something and they didn't get it. 
somebody feels as if they were left out of something or they were entitled to something more. Or maybe somebody in the family is using money as a means of control. Or there's some kind of perceived inequity that's driven a wedge between the family. Somebody took something that somebody else thought it belonged to them. I mean, I could go on and on and on with the list. And it's so sad when money and greed and selfishness drives a wedge in relationships and causes families that should be loving to be distanced or ignored. I think, I think it's time that we follow the example of Jesus and not only receive God's love, but give God's love to others. Amen? So ask yourself, is there some area where I've been a little selfish or greedy with God's blessings in my life? Maybe I need to extend some love to someone. Maybe you're the opposite end. You're the one who's acting like you're entitled to something. And maybe you're a little jealous of what somebody else has. Maybe you just need to recognize that anything we have is a gift from God and that the very breath that we have is a gift from God. And we should be happy with whatever we have, but we need to all be loving and forgiving to one another. Maybe you've allowed your feeling of fairness to drive a wedge between you and a family member or you and a friend. And I realize these are very complex situations and I may be painting with a very broad brush here this morning. But maybe, maybe it's just the message you need to hear this morning. That if you've got a broken friendship or a broken relationship or a, 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 you know, something in the family that's just not right, uh, maybe the loving thing to do is to at least take that first step in bringing reconciliation. Maybe it's something as simple as a phone call. Hey, I was thinking about you. Or hey, you know, I wanted to wish you a Merry Christmas to you and your family. And hey, we need to get together and, you know, talk sometime. You never know. It just may be that simple step may be what it takes to right a wrong that's been that's been driving a wedge in your relationships or your friendships for years. Jesus set the example. He forgave us for every single thing that we did. He initiated the reconciliation progress, a process when he came to earth in the form of a baby some 2,000 years ago. So I really can't think of a better time of year to mend a broken relationship than at Christmas. Show someone love, even if they don't deserve it. Love on them. Take the first step. Have the courage to be the person that makes the call. Admit that in all likelihood, maybe you are a bit of the problem. Acknowledge your part of the problem. Seek forgiveness and move forward. It may be the best Christmas you ever had if it's the Christmas where your family becomes reconciled, where love builds the bridge that brings you back together again and you can model the Christ-like love that you've received from Jesus to those around you. So as I wrap up our time together here this morning, I want to ask you one final question. Have you accepted God's gift of love to you? Jesus Christ freely offers his salvation to everyone. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's gift of salvation is for every one of us. You, me, and every person on this planet. It's a gift but it's not a gift that you automatically have. It's a gift that's offered, but you must receive. I could reach in my pocket and pull out a $100 bill if I had one and, and offer it to you, but if you didn't come up here and take it, you wouldn't have it. 
I'd put it back in my pocket. I'd still have it because you didn't take it. It was offered, but for whatever reason, you didn't receive it. And you know, there are people that have heard Christmas message after Christmas message after Christmas message, and the offer of salvation has been presented, but never received. Never, it's never been accepted. Can I ask you today, what are you waiting for? What, what information are you lacking? What, what do you feel you need? God has done everything to demonstrate his love for you. He came in the form of a baby. He lived a sinless life. He, he performed miracle after miracle in front of thousands of eyewitnesses. He proved he was God through the miracles he did. He predicted his death, burial, and resurrection, and then he did it. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He was on the earth 40 days after the resurrection. He proved that he was God. He ascended to heaven and said he's coming back. Hundreds and thousands of eyewitnesses have seen that. He's given us his words that we might know. Salvation is freely offered to everyone who will receive it. My question for you today is, have you received the gift of salvation? So I'm not even sure how to receive it. It's as simple as asking for it. Ask for it. And you have in your heart a willingness to repent and turn from your sins. It's a willingness to say, God, I receive your gift of salvation and I no longer want to live a life that displeases you. I want to please you with my life. I want to do what you want me to do. It's kind of a two sides of a coin. You receive the free gift of salvation and then his Holy Spirit upon salvation helps you turn your life around and live a life that pleases God. Salvation is not by works. You're not going to get into heaven by doing good deeds. I don't care how much money you give away at Christmas time. You're not getting into heaven because you did that. You're not going to get into heaven because you came to this church or any other church. We're part of any religious denomination. You were confirmed that you took communion, whatever. You're not, th those, things don't, those things don't pay for your salvation. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. It's only through Jesus Christ, not through the church or any other works. But he made it so easy that all you have to do, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you're here today, or you're joining us online, or you're driving down the road listening to this message, and there's never been a time in your life when you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm going to lead you in a prayer here in just a moment. Understanding the fact this is not a magic prayer. This, this prayer is not recorded anywhere in Scripture, and I never pray it the same way twice, because it's not the words of the prayer that matter, it's the intent of your heart that matter. I'm just helping you to formalize into words what perhaps you're feeling in your heart. But what you're doing by praying this prayer with me is just acknowledging the fact that you can't save yourself, that like Adam and Eve in the garden, you can't pay for your sins. Somebody else has to pay the price. And Jesus Christ paid that price. And he's offered salvation to you if you'll just receive it. So if you're here this morning or you're driving or you're listening to us online today and you'd like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm going to pray. And uh, you can pray quietly in your head. You don't have to say it out loud between you and God if you would like to receive Christ as your Savior. I'm going to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner and I've done wrong and I'm sorry. I've broken the Ten Commandments. I've lied. I've cheated. I've stolen. I've taken your name in vain. 
And Lord, that's just the beginning. I wouldn't have time to tell all the things I've done wrong. And for that, I'm truly sorry. I believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a cross to pay for my sins, and rose from the dead, proving that he was God. The best I know how, I'm asking you to save me and forgive me and help me to live a life that pleases you. God, I'm praying to receive the gift of salvation. I want to serve you and please you with my life and spend eternity with you when I die. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. In his name we pray. Amen. If you prayed to receive Christ as your Savior and you have questions, we're here to give you answers. Myself, Pastor Roger, Fernando, Pastor Sean, any of the, any of the church staff, we'd be happy to answer any questions that you may have. Uh, you can email any one of us just by our first name at VentureNaples.com and we'll do the best we can to get in touch with you. You want to grab coffee sometime and just talk? That's what we're here for. The, 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 you know, the most encouraging and exciting part of our our ministry is to sit with people who've given their lives to Christ and kind of help them as they take their next step of faith and, and grow in their relationship with God. 